Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the FinTV podcast. I'm here today with Laura Ciceri, who is a thought leader who really doesn't need much of an introduction, founder of Supply Chain Insights. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Always like to talk about supply chain. It's a a great topic. And uh, more importantly, I think now more than ever, it's on everybody's mind, isn't it? Uh, if If I look back to prior to COVID, People would ask me, what is supply chain? What do you do? What do you do? What exactly do you do? And now uh, even my next door neighbor's talking about supply chain and they can tell you all about it because they probably have a gripe with, you know, during the pandemic, whether they could get flour or couldn't get flour and what does that actually mean for them? So um, I guess, why don't we start off by talking about the research that you just recently did? Um, there's quite a lot of information that you've packed into uh, the supply chain to admire, supply chains to admire. And I'm really keen to understand um, how you came about this research and what are the findings? So the supply chains to admire research started when clients asked me, what is supply chain excellence and what does good look like? And that sounds like an easy question, but it isn't. And I had worked at a company called AMR Research, which was purchased by Gartner. And there's a methodology called the Gartner Top 25. And the Gartner Top 25 is problematic in five really critical ways. One is it is not based on a peer group analysis. So it basically compares all companies together. So like BSF would be compared to Apple. And I just think that's wrong. I think companies need to be compared within a peer group. So all chemical companies, all household products companies, all high tech companies, to be able to look at who is really driving improvement and outperforming the peer group. That's number one. Number two is I find that all companies want a barometer and the Gartner top 25 is really very anchored on companies 5 billion and above. And uh, so companies that were smaller, particularly uh, European companies wanted to have something that was meaningful for them. So we basically open up for anybody that's doing public reporting that uh, they can uh, be part of the analysis. The third is that the Gartner Top 25 really looked at a short duration and I find that it takes at least four years for a company to drive substantial improvement and performance uh, differences in a peer group. So I wanted it to stretch over time because the patterns of performance stretch over time. Four is I wanted it to be based upon a balance scorecard that tied to value. So one of the first things I did was I worked with Arizona State University to say, of all public reporting metrics, what is a small handful of metrics that we could look at and say that if companies focused here that they could improve market cap or price to book. And so we focus on growth, operating margin, inventory turns, return on invested capital. And the reason why I think those are important is there's tension between those metrics. If I'm going to grow 
then I'm probably going to have to have more inventory. I'm pulling on cash flow. If I only focus on cost versus margin, then I'll throw the supply chain out of balance. And when I grow, then I have to really use assets well. And so return on invested capital helps me at the intersection of growth and return on invested capital and inventory terms and operating margin. So we plot orbit charts for all companies, which basically take these metrics and we plot improvement and performance against the peer group and we're judging based upon the patterns. I think the patterns matter. Many times people will look at numbers in a spreadsheet and they won't have the ability to look at the pattern. So for example, a company that is not very resilient will be all over the map. They might make the number one year, but not make it in aggregate. And so those are some of the reasons why we started it. Now, as I do it, and this is the seventh year, I learn more and more about corporate performance, about how companies measure, uh, you know, what is value uh, and what's possible in a peer group. Uh, when I first started my work as an industry analyst, I made some bad recommendations. Like, you know, I looked at high tech and electronics in a pharmaceutical company and said, why can't you turn inventory like, you know, high tech and electronics? Every supply chain has a different DNA, so to speak, in terms of what matters in the supply chain and the trade-offs. So that's a little bit about the background. And so we make it public um, and it's based all on data. So the Gartner top 25 is 50% opinion. And oh, by the way, the supply chain leaders' opinions don't match the data, which is another conundrum. So it's all data-driven and it's done annually. And we try to do it based upon metrics that we can get off of balance sheets so we can do it globally for all public companies. I think it's really innovative that you thought, you'd say, well, it's innovative, but now that you explain it, it seems very logical to look at a company within their peer group as opposed to comparing a chemical company to an automotive company. You'd have thought that other people would have thought that through beforehand as well. Um, what was it, was there anything surprising that you found there? You know, I found that, you know, I'm an old gal and I've been in the supply chain market a long time. The companies that I thought were top performing were not top performing. Uh, you know, my first book, I really, you know, highlighted a few companies as supply chain leaders. When I got into the orbit chart analysis, I found that many of those companies had thrown themselves out of balance through M&A or, uh, you know, perhaps a program that didn't work. And I hadn't been as true to my audience about reporting factual data as I should have been. And as I you know, try to be much more focused on, you know, being a data-driven, I find more and more patterns and I find companies I wouldn't have ever thought of as supply chain leaders. So for example, in this particular work, 4% of companies are able to drive performance better than their peer group in the four metrics that I talked about and have a faster rate of improvement. One of them is sleep number. Now I would never have thought about sleep number as a supply chain top performer, just wasn't on my radar. 
furniture, not necessarily, you know, the top of everybody's list in terms of looking for a top supply chain performer, but they don't sell beds, they sell outcomes, they sell wellness, and they've really focused on the customer experience through their store and the design of their store. It's a great case study of supply chain leadership. When I first did it, I grouped personal products with household products, and I miss the pattern of L'Oreal. You know, personal products turn at about two and a half turns a year, whereas household products are four times that. So if you group personal products with household products, you'll miss, you know, some of the leaders. So I have learned that I was not a good barometer, uh, even though I had been an analyst 10 years before I did this, and that there's a lot of value for being data-driven. Well, it's... Uh, it speaks volumes to using, I guess, the antiquated methodologies that perhaps analysts were using beforehand to judge companies may not be in line with what the market really is demonstrating, is it? Um, well, and so much of it is ego-driven, right? You know, we have so many conferences and people get on stage and beat their chest and mm -hmm. we don't hold them accountable of did they drive value or did they really outperform their peer group? And so I just think that there needs to be a litmus test to help supply chain leaders to drive progress. A, a data-driven litmus test at that, because that, right. those are the operative words there. You know, you, you're not giving an opinion per se. You might be putting a narrative on the facts that you've discovered, uh, but at the end of the day, the facts will speak for themselves. How, how does this equate to say, how the world has changed in terms of uh, the pace of change, the disruption, you know? Uh, it's, I've been in so many countless meetings, I'm sure you have too, where some big established companies will say, we didn't see these guys coming. We didn't see, uh, you know, these disruptors coming in and taking our market share. Could it be because they were looking at antiquated old fashioned sort of litmus tests versus the kind of things that you're doing now? I think there are three things that come to mind as you ask me this question. One is we're very focused on product innovation, but not really innovation on business models. Amazon was a new business model. Sleep Number is a new business model. A Dollar Shave Club sold at very high multiples, and I would argue that you know P&G or Unilever could have invented Dollar Shave Club, but mm -hmm. there are no mechanisms within a company to really drive new business models. Uh, I was uh, talking to a company the other day who makes chocolate, and their product is phenomenal coming out of their factory, and I'm like, why don't you sell, you know, it's chocolate right out of the factory, you know, door to door, right? Well, there's nothing that really allows the evolution of new business models. So that's number one. Uh, number two is process innovation. Uh, there's not a lot of incentive for process innovation. Uh, in cross-functional alignment against the customer, I find most companies don't even know who their customer is or what drives the customer. And most of our processes are inside out. They're very focused on transactions and balance sheets, not necessarily moving market to market. And right now what is happening with what I call the hammer and the dance of COVID where, you know, we have the lockdowns and then we slowly get out of our homes and, you know, we do the dance and then we have a lockdown. What happens is that the supply chain changes market to market. 
And so if we're insular and we only focus on the enterprise and making the functions within the enterprise efficient, we'll always have empty shelves and we will not really be able to seize opportunities. Does that help? Yeah, completely, uh, ab absolutely. And um, let's talk about COVID. Obviously it's you know, where we're living at the moment and uh, with no end in sight per se. What are the opportunities that have come out of COVID or that can come out of COVID? Uh, potentially a redesign of supply chain, introducing new business models? Well, I had COVID, it's nasty, and I hope no one listening has COVID and that their families are healthy, first of all. Don't take any risk. Um, you don't know what the outcome's gonna be. Um, however, uh, I find in my research that companies are far more collaborative and appreciative of supply chain capabilities as part of the pandemic. We weren't ready for the pandemic. Um, our supply chain processes are woefully inadequate. The pandemic is shining a light on those processes. And so people are feeling some pain around inbound visibility, the fact that they can't get air freight. You know, we've always assumed we can expedite and get air freight, but air freight's just not available. We don't have a lot of bellies of planes. And when it is available, it's really too costly. And so I'm working with a number of companies that are like, I, I used to fly mm -hmm. my products, but I can't afford to anymore. So I'm going to have to, you know, do something different. Maybe I don't produce those products for that particular region. So more collaborative on product platform assortments, you know, what should be in the line, and then the evolution of new business models. What I think COVID op gives us an opportunity is to build better. Mm -hmm. We've been sort of asleep at the switch, implementing transactional systems, making functional silos very efficient, not really making the supply chain very effective, not really serving the customer. I think this opens up a window of opportunity for people to really embrace new ways of working outside in, starting with the customer, translating consumption data, aligning to the markets, and to be far more nimble and responsive to the needs market to market, including the suppliers. We've done a lot of work around financial reengineering, elongating payables, tax efficiency, business process outsourcing. And that really has given us a lot of ineffective behaviors to manage sourcing, right? And, you know, sourcing is really critical and there are a lot of disruption. And so I think that we're going to also become better trading partners. Uh, you know, business process outsourcing of invoices is horrific for suppliers. Uh, and, you know, 60, 90 days payables, I mean, you know, the cost of capital. I think we're going to become better trading partners. You know, um, uh, the people that I interview, they tell me that, um, uh, well, I feel like we've gone through phases, right? So when COVID hit, there was the, oh, oh, you know, the, oh, crap moment, the panic, the, what do we do now? This is unprecedented. Then there was the, okay, we've got this. We're, we're supply chain professionals. Let's go back to basics. Um, again, going back to what you say, yes, it, the COVID situation has been absolutely uh, devastating to people, to um, businesses, to the economy, to governments, et cetera. And it's, it's, it's not going away anytime soon. One thing that is very clear is that um, 
it has exposed certain cracks in supply chains. It has exposed certain supply chains for maybe covering up something that was, you know, not functioning very well beforehand, whatever you want to call it, but it's exposed certain cracks. Um, Let's talk about the redesign of supply chain, the opportunity to uh, create a better business model. Do you think it offers the possibility of not just looking at better processes, but more sustainable business models, uh, more you know, uh, disruptive business models, not just looking at the old-fashioned business models, looking at new companies, the way they've operated, this out-of-the-supply-chain-box thinking? What are your thoughts on that? I definitely think it's an opportunity for new business models. Um, you know, there's so much opportunity and supply chain sits in the middle of enablement, whether it's contactless shopping mm-hmm. or 3D printing uh, based supply chains or uh, more sustainable reuse supply chains, circular economy. Uh, because not only with COVID are we struggling with a pandemic and wearing masks and in our homes, but we also have record unemployment and uh, lots of issues with stimulus checks and the management of money. So the dollar conscious shopper offers a lot of opportunity. In 2007, with the downturn of the economy, we saw the evolution of you know the dollar retail outlet and. We really haven't fully explored, you know, the circular economy, uh, the dollar-conscious shopper, uh, being able to get things to people's doorsteps, disintermediation to the degree that we can. So, retail, lots of business models. We'll start to get perpetual inventory signals in the retail store because we'll need to be able to track on time. You know the whole manufacturing world is a great opportunity for us to invest in manufacturing to be able to look at how do we run things better so that we don't have socially distant outages but also how do we use the signals on the factory floor to be smarter Think about all of the pumps, motors, valves, uh, Internet of Things, PLC, all those signals that are out there that are talking, but we're not picking them up. And so digital manufacturing is a great opportunity for us to do things like the redesign and maintenance or the sensing or the redefinition of production planning. Sourcing, right? The network of networks. You know, right now, companies communicate through EDI, which is a lot like old fashioned postal mail, right? It's two to three days to get it there. I open an EDI, it's not bi-directional, it's expensive. So new business models to be able to connect and really drive interoperability. So there's lots of opportunities if we can just get out of our way of traditional thinking. Do you know, before COVID, all we talked about as a business, as an organization, we exist to help people um, connect with each other to cut through the hype and noise around digital transformation. That's all we talked about, digital transformation. Why is it not living up to the hype? Why is it uh, failing so much? And what we found is it, that a lot of the failures are down to leadership challenges or cultural issues. Uh, is that something that you found in your studies? Can you speak to you know, successful businesses that are doing well? What are they doing differently from a leadership or cultural perspective? 
Well, first of all, when people talk to me about digital transformation, they say, what do you mean? Right? And they look at me like, aren't you the dumbest analyst in the world that you don't know what I mean, right? But it doesn't have a definition. And I find many times people's definition of digital transformation is doing what they did yesterday faster or without paper. Well, and that's just stupid because 96% of supply chains are stuck. And they're stuck because we focused on making silos within the organization, very efficient, very insular, and very self-serving. And we have a very narrow view of integration versus interoperability, harmonization, synchronization of signals. And you know what's happening is technology allows us to move past traditional planning and decision support. Supply chains respond, they don't sense. You know, we don't use unstructured data, tremendous opportunity. So I define digital transformation as rethinking the atoms. So whether mm -hmm. it's recycled materials, 3D printing, uh, should I produce that product or should it be a service? Rethinking the atoms of the supply chain and rethinking the electrons. So how do I move information meaningfully from role to role to be able to drive better insights? And how do I do that outside in from the market to the sourcing market to be able to be much more effective? And atoms and electrons can be redefined in so many fun ways. But when we only focus on making yesterday's processes faster and paperless, it's a missed opportunity. So, you know, when ERP vendors talk to me about digital transformation, I laugh. I'm like, this is not about transactions. This is not about the enterprise. This is about how do I move insights to be able to power opportunities and to be able to align the organization for value. And I think we got off on the wrong foot because you know everybody's heard digital transformation, everybody jumped on the bandwagon, people didn't really define it, they didn't really think about the art of the possible. And so we had you know kind of this heightened interest and then it fell off right before COVID. But right now what's happening is we expose all the warts and holes of the supply chain. People are like, wow, that's a good opportunity for digital transformation. And there's more incentive to understand the art of the possible. Long answer, sorry for that. No, no, and it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly what we found digitization for the sake of digitization. It's sort of, you know, can I just make this faster and without answering the question of what am I trying to serve? Who am I trying to serve? What am I trying to solve? Where does the customer sit in all of this? Isn't this, I would guess, this is more business transformation. Digital is just the vehicle, isn't it? Um, and I think that most people just digitize for the sake of digitization. Um, right. with, with regards to the supply chains of the future, you know, where we're headed, the, uh, um, do you think that the companies that invest in digital without solving their processes have a chance? Or do you think, that, you know, and here's a second question, how guilty are the analysts and the consultants in selling the hype of digital without looking to solve the, the real problem here, which is uh, the business and the business value? Okay, those are two pretty deep questions. So I'm gonna take your second one first. I think 
consultants and analysts always find a new slope to ride. And I think a company like IBM is much better at marketing than delivery. And, you know, they really pushed, you know, digital transformation, McKinsey, you know, they have to have something to open up the boardroom, right? Okay, guilty is charged, right? But the other thing that I think we have not been honest with ourselves is we don't have best practices. If we had best practices, 96% of companies would not be stuck. And so we must be honest with ourselves that we're only on the third generation of supply chain professionals and that we must learn from the past, unlearn, to rethink what the possibilities of the future could be. And the biggest obstacle is our gray matter. And if we do not charter to really rethink to build better, somebody else is gonna steal our market or we're gonna miss an opportunity. And that doesn't mean that you know, long-term brands are gonna go out of business, but you're gonna miss opportunities. And that's, you know, sad. So I think we as professionals have got to change our game. I always laugh and say, you know, consultants have the answers. And I, as an analyst, I'm trying to figure out the questions to ask. I don't think we have good answers. I think we need to focus on how do we get smart about the questions to ask to be able to harness new value. So why don't we have best practices? Why, why, don't, why are only 4% of the companies outperforming their peers? It's a great question. I'll tell you my observation, and this is the subject of my new book. You know, 1982 was the evolution of supply chain as a practice of source, make, and deliver together. First time it was ever written. We've had a lot of logistics, right? You know, so logistics won wars, but logistics doesn't really have the core elements of manufacturing and the combination of direct materials to manufacturing and conversion. So it's, it's new. And in uh, the 1980s and the 1990s, when I was a first generation supply chain pioneer, they were regional supply chains, right? You know, was really a local area, right? We ran our factories, we served our markets, it was very contained. The evolution of the multinational global supply chain as frictionless borders happened and people chased lower labor costs and we went after global markets, organizations became much, much larger and uh, much more political and lots of people didn't really define supply chain excellence. And you might think, well, that's trivial, but it's so important to define what is supply chain excellence and tie it to strategy and design the supply chain. Only 9% of companies design their supply chains actively. Now I'm a chemical engineer. I couldn't get out of school without designing heat exchangers and distillation columns. And I'm appalled at how few companies design their supply chains the flows, form and function of inventory, how they make decisions, the role of governance. And we didn't do the basics. We really just jumped in and said, we're gonna be a global company now. 
and we shipped a lot of things around the world, but not really very effectively. And we focused only on safety stock, not on form and function of inventory. And we looked at financial reengineering because what CFO ever learned supply chain, supply chain mm -hmm. basics, right? And so we moved money around, right? And we basically penalized suppliers, pushed cost and waste back in the supply chain, didn't really work on our own capabilities. Those are some thoughts. And it's well, good to talk to you today. No, I appreciate you uh, being on here. I appreciate you uh, having a chat with us about uh, uh, your your research, which sounds absolutely f uh, really enlightening. I think uh, uh, our viewers would really have uh, some very good insight about the supply chain that they're in and how they measure up and what advice that uh, you can give them with regards to the supply chains to admire. Thank you so much for being on here, Laura. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and hopefully we'll see you because you're going to be speaking soon at one of our events. So we'll see you. We'll see you there. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Okay, no problem. Bye-bye. <laughs>